When Hannah Cornelius and Cheslin Marsh pulled up to the parking lot outside of Cheslin's apartment complex on the morning of May 27, 2016, they had no idea their lives were about to change in the blink of an eye. The two had been out with friends the night before, and Hannah kindly offered to give Cheslin a ride home. As they sat in the car, laughing and chatting, nothing seemed out of the ordinary, and it was just another moment in their daily lives. But in just 13 short minutes, their world would be changed forever, and what would ensue was an unimaginable 11-hour nightmare that would shatter their lives. Six minutes after first pulling into Cheslin's apartment complex, surveillance footage captures four suspicious men walking down the road. Suddenly, one of the men crosses the road the moment he spots Hannah's vehicle. As the other men began to follow suit, a stroke of luck, or perhaps fate, intervened. Another vehicle pulled up at that very moment and dropped off a woman at the same apartment complex. This caused the four men to divert their attention, and they actually walk past Hannah's car instead. A short while after they passed Hannah's vehicle, two of the men are seen returning to the car, and the other two joins them a few seconds later. With a screwdriver in hand, one of the men forced his way to Hannah's side of the car, while the other one approached Cheslin's side with a knife. Within moments, they had overpowered the two friends, and Cheslin was forced into the back seat, with two of the men squeezing in alongside him. The other two men dragged Hannah into the cramped space between the two front seats, while they got into the front of the car and started demanding that she hand over the keys to her vehicle. As the horror of the situation began to unfold, one of the men in the back seat suddenly realized that things were about to escalate from armed robbery to hijacking and kidnapping. He starts to get cold feet, so he took Cheslin's phone and cash from his wallet and can then be seen running off at 3.35 a.m. At 3.39 a.m., 16 minutes after Hannah and Cheslin initially pulled into the apartment parking lot, Hannah's vehicle is seen leaving. This is a story of how a single moment can change everything, how a routine action can lead to unimaginable horror, and how a chance encounter can become a fight for life. This is the horrific true crime story of Hannah Cornelius. Hannah Cornelius was born on February 13, 1996 in Cape Town, South Africa, and for her parents, she was a blessing from birth. With no terrible twos or teething problems to speak of, Hannah was a remarkable child from the very beginning. Throughout her academic career, she excelled with flying colors, earning straight A's, and proving herself to be a gifted musician and excelling in drama. But it wasn't just her impressive accomplishments that set her apart. Hannah was a well-rounded and mature individual beyond her years, taking on a leading role in her family and fiercely protecting her younger brother who suffered from severe autism. With a heart full of compassion and a spirit of excellence, Hannah was truly a daughter any parent would be proud of. Hannah was also not the typical South African citizen. In a country where the vast majority of people scrape by on less than $200 a month, Hannah was born into a family of privilege. Her father, Willem Cornelius, was a prominent judge in Cape Town, while her mother, Anne Cornelius, ran a thriving law firm. To say that the family was well off would be an understatement. Yet despite growing up with wealth and privilege, Hannah never let money or material possessions define her values. She was a rare soul who judged people not by their income, race, religion, or background. But what was important to her was their character. For Hannah, what mattered most was how people treated one another and the kindness they showed to the world around them. In a country still grappling with the legacies of apartheid and social inequality, Hannah was a shining example 
of what it means to be truly exceptional. When Hannah turned 18 and ready to start university, her parents were ready to give her the gift that every teenager dreams of, her first car. But for Hannah, this milestone wasn't about materialism or status. She didn't want a flashy, expensive ride that would turn heads and earn her envious glances from her peers. Instead, she had her heart set on something with a different kind of value, her grandmother's old 1984 Volkswagen City Golf. To anyone else, it might have seemed like an odd choice for a young woman of means. But for Hannah, the decision was a no-brainer. The car represented a connection to her family, a symbol of the love and wisdom that had been passed down through generations. And so with a car that was more than just a car, Hannah set out on the next chapter of her journey, grateful for the things that money could never buy. When she enrolled in university, her parents expected her to follow in their footsteps and study law. But to their surprise, she informed them that she had changed her mind and instead wanted to study humanities because she wanted to do something that would help people. Her parents weren't exactly impressed, but they knew their daughter was never someone without a plan, so they trusted her decision and allowed her to enroll. University life was everything that Hannah had hoped for. She was thriving academically, making new friends, and discovering herself. But it wasn't all work and no play for Hannah. She loved the social scene too, and often frequented the local bars with her friends. The night of May 26, 2016 was no different. Hannah and her crew descended upon a nearby bar, eager to let off some steam after a long day of classes. Here they had a few drinks, danced the night away, and just enjoyed everything the social side of college life had to offer. It's also at this bar that Hannah ran into Cheslin Marsh, a guy she didn't know too well, but they had mutual friends and ran into each other at campus quite often. Cheslin was at the same university as Hannah, and although he had a much more modest life than her and didn't come from a wealthy family, he had a strong moral compass and was deeply religious. It wasn't hard to see why Hannah had an instant connection to him and how they immediately became friends. During their time at the bar, Hannah and Cheslin spoke for a while, and at some time during the evening she invited him and his friends to join her group of friends at their table, and they all had a great night out. At around midnight that evening, Cheslin was ready to call it a night, so he told the group that he was ready to head on home. His friends, however, weren't really ready to end the night just yet, and they implored Cheslin to stick around a bit longer and join them on a quick visit to the boys' dorm, promising a few more laughs and good times before the night was over. Although hesitant at first, Cheslin was eventually swayed by their infectious enthusiasm and agreed to tag along. What ensued was a night of non-stop merriment as the group huddled together, exchanging stories, cracking jokes, and having a great time. Cheslin was glad he stayed. The night turned out pretty fun and he got to know Hannah and her friends a bit better. Time basically flew by and before they knew it, it was now 3 a.m. and Cheslin realized that it was time to say his goodbyes. Unlike his friends who were lucky enough to reside in the cozy dorms, Cheslin lived on the outskirts of Stellenbosch, roughly six miles away. As Cheslin was bidding his goodbyes, Hannah asked him how he was getting home, and he told her that he would be using his trusty longboard. He always carried it around with him, and it was his go-to ride, especially when exploring the small campus town. Despite Cheslin insisting that he would be fine making the journey home, Hannah refused to let her friend travel six miles on a skateboard in the dead of night. Knowing the dangers of the quiet, winding roads at this time of the night, she offered him a ride home and wouldn't take no for an answer. After a bit of back and forth, Cheslin finally agreed to Hannah's plan, 
and they said their goodbyes to their friends, unaware of the dangers that they were about to encounter. As mentioned in the intro of this video, shortly after pulling up into the parking lot of Cheslin's apartment building, their paths would cross with Vernon Whitboy, Geraldo Parsons, Eben Van Niekirk, and Nashville Julius. They were a group of notorious meth users and convicted criminals, known for their brazen acts of theft, housebreaking, drug possession, and gang affiliation. And as they would later tell the courts, on this particular night, fueled by their insatiable addiction, they had set out to prey on unsuspecting victims looking for valuables they could take from them. That's when they came across Hannah and Cheslin parked outside his flat. After they forced them into the backseat of the car, and with Nashville Julius running off, the three remaining men is seen leaving with Hannah and Cheslin. They drove with them to a remote area in Stellenbosch, where they were forced out of the vehicle and robbed of their possessions. The criminals assured Hannah and Cheslin that they wouldn't be harmed as long as they cooperated. They claimed they only needed Hannah's car to buy some drugs at a nearby drug den, and promised to drop them off afterwards. With Cheslin's bank card in hand, they ordered him into the trunk of the car, while Hannah was forced to sit in the passenger seat to appear less suspicious to other drivers on the road. They then drove to a local drug den where Vernon and Geraldo forced Hannah to go in with them, while Eben stayed behind to keep an eye on Cheslin, who was still in the trunk at this time. After some time passed, Geraldo and Vernon returned to the vehicle where they opened the trunk and demanded that Cheslin provide them with his bank pin. Cheslin complied, and the men then drove to a local gas station. CCTV footage catches them pulling up at 4.34 a.m., one hour after Hannah and Cheslin had first been abducted. This grainy footage you see here is the last time Hannah is seen alive. Vernon Whitboy is then seen entering the shop, and he attempts to withdraw money from Cheslin's account. His attempts were however unsuccessful, either because there was no money in the account, or because Cheslin had given them the wrong pin. Either way, Vernon returned to the car empty-handed, his face twisted in fury. He vowed to make Cheslin pay dearly for this mistake, and it was a promise he intended to keep. The men then headed to another drug den, approximately 10 miles away, in the neighboring suburb of Cryfontaine. They made a quick pit stop to purchase some meth before finally arriving at an open field in one of the dodgiest areas of town. Here they indulged in their habit once more, before eventually heading to the trunk of the vehicle and ordering Cheslin to get out. Vernon and Geraldo walked with him into the open field, the cover of darkness concealing their true intentions, while Eben stayed behind to keep watch over Hannah. As they walked with Cheslin through the bushes, the eerie silence of the night was shattered by the sound of footsteps and hushed whispers. They eventually came to a standstill at a clearing where a solitary tree stood. Bricks lay strewn around its base, and it was here that the men ordered Cheslin to lie down on the ground, with his head resting on the cold, hard surface. As he laid there in the field, with his head on the ground, Cheslin looked up and saw each man with a brick in their hand. Cheslin knew what was coming, so he closed his eyes, accepted his fate, and started to pray. Vernon and Geraldo returned to the car a short while later, and Hannah immediately started to panic and demanded to know where Cheslin was. They tried to calm her down by telling her that they tied Cheslin to a tree and left him there to be found unharmed the next morning. They then told Hannah that their next move was to return to Stellenbosch, where they would drop her off as well, before they would abandon her car so that she could find it at a later stage. This seemed to calm Hannah down a bit, as she thought that their ordeal was finally coming towards an end. But unfortunately, any hope she had that things would soon be over, 
was immediately shattered the moment they started driving again. As the vehicle made its way back to Stellenbosch, Vernon started handing out condoms to Geraldo, who was driving at the time, and to Eben, who was sitting at the back with Hannah. She immediately knew what was about to happen next, but in a last-ditch attempt to save her life, she allegedly told the men that she wouldn't put up a fight as long as they agreed to let her go afterwards. They then drove to a paintball field outside Stellenbosch, where they proceeded to take turns assaulting Hannah. When they were done with their gruesome deed, they returned to the car and told her to get into the trunk, because they didn't want her to see where they were going to drop her off. At this point she still believed that she'd make it out alive. But the three men had very different plans. They drove to a wine farm just outside Stellenbosch, and this is where they parked the car. Vernon and Geraldo told Hannah to get out of the trunk, and instructed her to walk with them. When she realized that they were in the middle of nowhere, she instinctively knew that something was wrong, and she immediately started to panic, begging the guys to just let her go. The men then tried to drag Hannah out of the vehicle, but she held on with everything she had refusing to let go of the trunk, all the while begging them not to continue with the plan they had in mind. It's at this point when Geraldo pulled out his pocket knife and proceeded to stab Hannah in her neck. And although she was bleeding profusely at this point, miraculously she was still alive. Vernon and Geraldo then dragged her into the bushes, and instead of leaving her there to be found by passerbys at a later stage, they instead picked up an 80-pound rock and repeatedly threw it at her head until she died. Vernon and Geraldo wasn't done quite yet, and after they brutally murdered Hannah, they continued their drug-filled crime spree. At around 8.30 a.m., five hours after Hannah and Cheslin was first abducted, they spotted a 20-year-old woman on her way to work. They were still in Hannah's car at this time, and they started following the lady. When she noticed the suspicious car driving slowly behind her, the woman made a run for it. Vernon and Eben then jumped out of the car and set chase by foot. They tackled the lady to the ground before taking her handbag, wallet, and cell phone. Then at 1 p.m. that afternoon, 13 hours after first abducting Hannah, the three men spotted another woman on her way to work. She was walking down a quiet street. They stopped next to her and pretended to be lost and asked for directions. When the lady came closer to the car so that she could help them out, they forced her into the car and then sped off. While in the car, they forced her to give them her bank card and PIN, and they then drove to a nearby gas station. Surveillance footage captures the men at 1.12 p.m., pulling into the parking lot of a nearby gas station. Vernon Whitbuoy enters the store, and Geraldo Persons joins him a short while later. The men withdraw $200 from the woman's account, and then they return to the vehicle. Luckily, they didn't harm the lady any further, and instead drove her back to where they initially abducted her. At this point, it's been a very long night for these scumbags, and Eben told the guys that he was ready to head home. They drove him back to Stellenbosch to drop him off, before giving him $100 for his participation in the crime. Vernon and Geraldo, however, were still in the mood to carry on, so they dropped off Eben and intended to continue their drugged-filled spree. Meanwhile, back in Crifontine at that deserted field, Cheslin Marsh had just opened his eyes. He could see that it was now daylight, and judging by the pain he was feeling, he realized that the previous night wasn't just a bad dream and he also realized that he remembered every bit of detail of the night before. He was immediately concerned for Hannah's safety, so he summoned every bit of energy he had to pick himself off the floor and make his way to the closest house, desperately looking for someone who could help. He knocked on the first door he saw and begged the owners to assist him, 
But Cheslin, who was covered in blood in one of the dodgiest areas in Cape Town, wasn't receiving any sympathy from the homeowners, and they chased him away instead, thinking that he was probably involved in a gang fight of sorts. Luckily, at that very moment, a patrolling police car passed, and Cheslin waved it down. Upon listening to his story, the police officer contacted the Stellenbosch Detectives Unit, and when the officer told them Cheslin's story, they responded by saying that they just returned from a scene where the body of an unidentified woman was found, and she seemed to match Cheslin's description of Hannah. Cheslin was able to provide the detective with a description of all the suspects involved, as well as the registration number of Hannah's vehicle. The police immediately sent out an all-points bulletin, and they were determined to track down the vehicle before they commit any more crimes. At 14.12 p.m., nearly 12 hours after Cheslin and Hannah was first abducted, an unmarked police vehicle spotted Hannah's car driving on a busy road. The detective immediately called for backup. The other police officers arrived a short time later, and after Geraldo spotted the police lights in his rearview mirror, he tried to speed off, and a car chase ensued. Geraldo pulls into a nearby wine farm, and the detectives are right on their heels, but with no way to pass through, one detective jumps out of his car and sets after them by foot. Vernon and Geraldo eventually reached a dead end, so they too jump out of Hannah's car and starts to make a run for it. The detective eventually caught Geraldo, and he was quick to give them the names of his accomplices. It seems that it's true what they say. There is no honor among thieves. All three men were eventually arrested, and the matter went to trial. Despite the mountain of evidence against them, they all pleaded not guilty. Yet during cross-examination, they admitted to most of what they did. What was heartbreaking to watch was how these scumbags showed no remorse for what they did. Smiling throughout the trial, mocking Hannah's friends and family in the public gallery, and enjoying the media attention they were receiving. The men were eventually found guilty of all crimes against them, and they were sentenced to a combined 358 years between them. Geraldo, Vernon, and Eben will serve life sentences for the murder, rape, and kidnapping of Hannah Cornelius, as well as the attempted murder and kidnapping of Cheslin Marsh. They will be eligible for parole after 25 years. Nashville Julius, who was only involved in 127 seconds of the robbery, before running off, was sentenced to 22 years for the robbery and kidnapping of Hannah and Cheslin. The judge found that although he wasn't one of the main members of the crime spree, his actions in robbing Cheslin and forcing him into the back seat played a big enough role to ensure that the kidnapping took place. With all four men sentenced and on their way to prison, many would think that this is where the story ends and everyone's life goes back to normal. But sadly, that's never the case. Life goes on for everyone else, but the family and friends of the victims are left to live on with the hurt of it all. After Hannah's death, her dad Willem resigned from his job as a judge because he felt he could no longer be impartial, and if faced with a story of rape or murder, he would not be able to put his personal feelings aside. Cheslin Marsh, although happy to be alive, was left permanently deaf in his one ear due to the injuries he sustained on that fateful night. He struggled with concentration and eventually had to drop out of university. He was left with huge student debt and was unable to pay for it. Hannah's dad eventually intervened and got the university to write off most of his debt. Hannah's mom, Anne, who once ran a successful law firm, became a shadow of herself after her daughter's death. A year after Hannah's passing, her mom went for her morning swim in the Atlantic Ocean close to their home. Despite Anne being a strong swimmer, she ended up drowning. Her death was ruled an accident. 
in addition to being my best friend, was the strongest and most competent person I've ever met. She became a shadow of herself, inconsolable, frantic, almost manic in everything she did. Outwardly still in control, but inside she had very little to give. She turned her back on a successful law practice and plowed every bit of energy she had into the foundation with absolutely no regard for her health or any other practical considerations. No one really knows what happened on that early morning when she decided to go swimming in an ice-cold and stormy Atlantic Ocean. For myself, I do not believe that she committed suicide or she ended herself. But what I do believe is that she did not have the physical or mental strength left to counter any difficulties that she may have experienced. Hannah's little brother, who has severe autism, doesn't understand the concept of death. Every night before he goes to bed, he stops in front of a framed photograph of Hannah and asks his dad when she will be returning from her vacation. Although Hannah's killers are behind bars, it seems that due to their gang affiliation, they are having a pretty comfortable time in jail. Geraldo and Vernon regularly update their Facebook status and are often posting loving messages to their girlfriends on the outside. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of a true crime podcast. Before we wrap up, I want to take a moment to remind you that publishing this podcast takes a lot of time and effort, and I'm not making any money from it. So if you enjoyed this episode and find value in the content we publish, please consider supporting us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Your support will help us reach more people, and it will also give us the motivation to keep creating high-quality content that educates, entertains, and inspires you. We appreciate your support and feedback, and we look forward to bringing you more great content in the future. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, take care 